What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we are celebrating our confirmands who have spent this past year learning and growing through classes with Christine Souza, our youth minister, through a day-long retreat and even through discussion of their own creed, declaring for the world what it is that they believe. I'm proud of the work they've done, and it is a joy to celebrate their accomplishments with the church today. But before the act of confirmation, I'd like to spend a few minutes exploring what this decision means. Why do we go through confirmation? What are we actually committing to do and say and be? Many of us here have been confirmed. What does it really mean? We find many of these answers in a cryptic passage in the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus promises his disciples and future generations uh, that it is to our benefit that Jesus goes away. When he leaves, the advocate will come. That's the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will prove the world wrong. Brian is going to read for us today. So let's hear our passage from John. It's chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. And then uh, in chapter 16, the second half of verse 4 to verse 15. So I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You are also to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. From Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Move our hearts, 
that we might sense your Holy Spirit among us today. In Christ we pray. Amen. This strange cryptic passage from the Gospel of John has something in mind that's very important in order for us to understand what it is saying. When the Apostle John says that we have an advocate, some of us might think of a helper or a counselor. But what is most likely being described here is a defending attorney. John is envisioning a courtroom with God as judge and the Holy Spirit defending us. Because of this background, I decided to reach out to who I believe to be the world's foremost expert on the courts. I called up my sister, Sarah, who has watched every episode of Judge Judy that has ever existed. And I asked her, what could you teach me from watching all that court TV? And she told me, if you had asked me six months ago, I would have given you a totally different answer. What transformed her view was being selected for jury duty. If you don't know, just about everyone in the country has their name on a list, and at random you may be selected to serve on a jury to judge the guilt or innocence of someone accused of a crime. I had been selected for a pool once, but as soon as they found out I was a pastor, they immediately dismissed me from jury duty. I was very offended by that. I'm thoughtful, moral, and happy to serve on a jury. I'm exactly the person that you should pick. But apparently that's not how it works. Uh, my sister Sarah said when she was selected, she was picked to be juror number 15. Wait, you might be thinking, aren't there only 12 people on a jury? And yes, that is correct. But if someone needs to be removed from the jury for some reason, they don't want to have to go back and redo the whole trial. So instead, they have the three alternates to replace anyone that has to be removed in the middle of the trial. The alternates go through the whole thing. They are in the courtroom. They hear the case and all the evidence. My sister was actually quite disappointed to learn that every time something out of the ordinary happens, like the judge giving instructions to the lawyers, the jury is sent out of the room. In court TV, that's actually the point where there's the most fireworks happening. The judge yells, this paperwork doesn't prove anything. You have no evidence. A real jury, though, they don't get to see any of that, so they won't become biased. Uh, a real jury uh, does, just doesn't get to see that. So when the trial comes to an end, the alternate jurors are sent home, and then the jury decides on the verdict of guilt or innocence of the accused. Now this is where Sarah's story gets interesting. My sister, along with the other two alternates, were told that they could go and pick up their paycheck for their service in another part of the building. All three went down, and as they were waiting, they asked each other, can we talk about the case now? And they agreed together that no one had given them instructions otherwise, so it was fine. They could talk. And my sister was sure the defendant on trial was guilty. Absolutely. Another woman agreed but said it was confusing because when the defense attorney began the trial, he stood up and told all these things to the jury that turned out to be completely false. He straight up lied about the events of the crime so he could confuse the jury and hopefully win the case. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't seem right to me. Why would our legal system let people lie so completely and pervert justice? Well, things get even more interesting because Sarah happened to know a lawyer who had access to the records of the case. Her friend found out later that during the jury deliberations, a juror had to be removed. 
one of the other two alternates had to be called back and eventually the defendant was declared guilty. My sister might have accidentally helped clarify truth from fiction to help convict a person of their crime. It's quite an experience she had, but I am left thinking about two things. One is that our law system is not necessarily set up to separate out right from wrong. The laws we have sometimes contradict each other, and lawyers can use that to weasel their way into getting wrong people proved innocent. The system is set up to execute the laws, which may not always be righteous. Sarah had even described it all as a game to win, not necessarily for truth to prevail. When you go on court TV, you sign a piece of paper and wave your rights to the law, you know you are in a TV production. This is fake, and someone will make a decision on guilt or innocence based on what they think makes for good TV. But when you walk into a court of law, you don't expect it to be so fake and so arbitrary. You expect justice. You expect those that are righteous to win. But all too often, that is not the case. And don't get me wrong, the laws and courts we have in the U.S. are pretty good. We've come a long way from bribes or wealth being the main reason you win or lose. But I imagine many of us would be pretty upset to go in a court of law and instead of getting justice, we find ourselves wronged all over again. This is not the way God intends things to be. In the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus say that the Holy Spirit will be the defending attorney for us and for Jesus. And when Jesus leaves after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, we might think to ourselves, well, what now? We don't have Jesus. We are on our own. But Jesus says, no, look, when I go, then you'll have the Holy Spirit to defend you. And when the Holy Spirit is defending you, the Spirit isn't lying or manipulating the jury. The Spirit is bringing real righteousness. This isn't just about feeling good when Jesus leaves either. At that time, the disciples would have faced serious persecution from the Roman Empire. If you were a Christian, you could be murdered for your beliefs. Some religious leaders were even exaggerating the differences between Christians and others so that the Christians would be killed. John is pointing out how awful that is. That is not righteousness. This is not justice for those who follow the law. That's why John goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will eventually prove the world wrong about sin, about righteousness, and judgment. The world's way of seeing things is not right. They don't understand what Jesus came to do in this world. They still think power is found in coercion, forcing your version of justice on the world. Jesus taught us that in sacrifice, in self-emptying, and in death, real life begins. As we celebrate confirmation and baptism, we are reminded that this holy act begins with death to ourselves, to our own flawed worldly understanding of how the world works. When we are baptized, the Apostle Paul says in Romans that we are dying just like Jesus died on the cross. When we come up out of those waters or the water finishes dripping off our heads, we are not dead, buried under the water. We are up and out and alive. 
we may not be able to grab a hold of Jesus like the disciples did, but now we have the Holy Spirit. We can have that same relationship the disciples had with God by having an intimate, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I know that sounds a little weird, but when the Spirit speaks into your life and you sense God's love, you are having a relationship with God. This is what we want for everyone who walks into our church and for all those out in the world to experience. Life with the Spirit. The culmination of this idea in John 16 has always been lost on me. The end of today's passage is perhaps the most enigmatic scripture I've ever read. Hear verses 14 and 15 again. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Yep, clear as mud. (laughs) What in the world is John saying? He is saying the relationship Jesus has with God is the same kind of relationship you can have with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says he shares everything with God. This is what's known in ancient times as the ideal friendship. What does God keep from Jesus? Nothing. What does God give to Jesus? Everything. Anything God has is given to Jesus. And that is how our relationships ought to be too. John is telling us we can have that with the the Holy Spirit. Everything God's Holy Spirit possesses is willingly shared with us. There is nothing that God holds back from us. So... When we open ourselves up to God and we are hearing from the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, and living by the Spirit, we are given everything we need to live our best lives possible. We have the deepest, most profound love we could ever know. As I finish up my conversation with my sister about her courtroom experiences, we started talking about my parents, a favorite pastime of ours. Uh, We were working through how our parents love us and what it means to have unconditional love. The conversation made me think particularly of folks that have lost their parents. One member of our church, her mother died just this week, and that must be so painful for her. Others lost their parents in years past. How difficult to have the people that are the source of unconditional love gone from this earth. Still others have never known that unconditional love. Either their parents didn't express that to them, or there is a broken relationship there, and now it may feel like no one loves you unconditionally. No one loves you for exactly who you are with no ifs, ands, or buts. Today the Spirit is saying, I am here. I love you. I love you without condition. I love you like your mother or father never could. I love you like those who are now absent from from your life once did. I love you in such a way that everything I have is yours. I give without end. I give without any expectations in return. I give because I am love. As we confirm our confirmands, we want that kind of experience for you. We want you to have that kind of relationship with God. You are not condemned by God. 
a judge sitting in a courtroom looking to give a guilty sentence. You are defended by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that says, you are my beloved and I give you everything. Some of us might see that same kind of relationship in our parents. Others with the keen eyes of the Holy Spirit will see it in our confirmants or in your friends. You see it in their gifts and talents, in their aspirations and unique personalities, as diverse and as beautiful as the bodies we wear on the outside. And may we see it in each other, in our brothers and sisters, in our siblings here in the church. Let us aspire to be the best kind of relationship, uh, aspire to the best kind of relationship we can have with others, where everything is shared. Let the spirit that stands by your side move among you, advocating for truth and justice. May it lead to a life lived in unconditional, uninhibited, uncompromising love from God for the world. Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.